Hello, Podicumans, and welcome to another episode of the Podicesis podcast, a podcast about what Christians believe and why it matters. I'm Brett Maddox, and once again, we're joined by your very best friends, Alan Kaysen and Jim Morrow. How you guys doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. Doing wonderful. Jim, you doing I'm okay? Gonna, I'm going to tell you guys, this is as cold as South Georgia gets, and I'm about to make an igloo. <laughs> it's 65 degrees outside. I'm going to pull out... I'm going to pull out my parka and my mittens. <laughs> okay. And uh, and today we are excited because we've got a very special guest. Dr. Timothy Tennant, president of Asbury Theological Seminary, is with us. Dr. Tennant, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. And we've had plenty of snow and ice up here, you know? It's yes. <laughs> yeah. Talk about sticking yeah. my foot in my mouth. Yeah, Jim, about talk say, about how cold it is. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shoot Jim down when we're all in shorts down here, and he's complaining about how cold it is. I don't know what's <laughs> going on. <laughs> uh, once again, uh, feel free, uh, Podicumans, to hit us up on social media. At Podicesis is where you can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter. And as always, leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And as a reminder, we are a part of the Spirit and Truth Podcasting Network, so check them out at spiritandtruth.life. All right, Dr. Tennant, we are so glad to have you with us, and we want to talk about catechism with you. Um, as our listeners know, we've been going through John Wesley's revision of the Westminster Shorter Catechism for over 18 months now, and wow. uh, we are kind of getting towards the end of that. We just finished the Ten Commandments, and um, so one of the things for us is this has been really good for us, us three, um, to kind of go through these central tenets of the faith, if you will. And uh, you just published um, Foundations of the Christian Faith, a resource for catechesis and disciple-making. And, uh, you know, we want to just talk about that and see, um, see, you know, why did you do this? What is it about catechism that excites you? And, and why'd, you, uh, why'd you publish this? Um, I guess I should say before we get into that, you're a widely published author on many, many different things. Some of my favorite personal books of yours is like Christianity at the Religious Roundtable. I think it's just a fantastic book. And the uh, Theology and World Christian Context, or uh, that book, um, and, and some others. Uh, but yeah, why catechism? What is it about catechism that uh, that excites you, and why did you publish this? Well, Brett, Alan, and Jen, let me just say I'm delighted to be here. It's great to be part of your podcast, and, uh, and I heard there was such a thing as a podcast. podcast. <laughs> yes. I thought, wow, uh, there's, there's a new day has dawned on the church. <laughs> what an amazing concept. Uh, so I, 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 you didn't even have to ask me. I would have begged to be on your show because I just can't believe it. But anyway, you did ask me. I'm honored to be here because I do think uh, catechesis is important. Um, the church has always, uh, you know, had some kind of way of passing the faith on. You know, as you know, those sacred words in Paul's, uh, that Paul does in Corinthians, it's, you know, what I received, I passed on, right? Paralodon, uh, paralodoka in Greek. And uh, I feel like that today's church has been kind of on its back heels about it. We, we kind of, we used to rely upon the culture to help us and all that's kind of faded away. And the church is really desperately in need of um, catechesis. So this book is trying to help uh, provide a practical resource for the church and how to train a new believer. Uh, this helps both uh, people with our, that are coming to the faith um, through, you know, through family formation, but also just new believers that join the church, like in a new class or you know, new members class, or whatever. It's meant yeah. to kind of help the church in that way. It's awesome. Um, one of the things I noticed is that this is not like um, 
like not like a regular confirmation work or a, um, even a, any regular co- uh, catechesis work because this tends to be real holistic. Like um, it's not just the the mind. You're not just asking questions and giving answers, and it's not just you know certain ways of act. Like you you include every bit of this doc. What is it? I think you said you said like a doctrine and ethics uh, and ordinances ethics and ordinances. Yeah. Um, and so that's a that's a big piece uh, to to this that it's not just one part. It seems to be really holistic. Well, that's true. I think if you go back through history uh, and you ask what is the core of catechesis, uh, despite all the amazing diversity in the church over the years in terms of all kinds of things we talk about, fight about, whatever else, mm-hmm. what has been amazingly consistent is that the core of catechesis has been shockingly similar across Roman Catholic, Orthodox, uh, Protestant traditions, and even today in more of the free church type setup. So the, the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, Apostles' Creed has been kind of a constant in catechesis. Um, the changes that I made, I, I still did all of that, but I did some things that I think were more contextual for you know, what pastors like you are facing, like questions you're actually getting to churches related to you know, the body and toward certain ethical issues, et cetera. So that was important to me. Um, I also did something which, as Wesley and Joel appreciate, which is I don't think ever been done before, but I included a hymn at the end of every section. <laughs> my wife was, God bless my wife. She wrote yeah. a hymn for every section to kind of yeah. gather it together because Wesleyans uh, sing their theology. I wanted to say, yes. you know what? It's not just yeah. about the point you made, Brett, not just about memorizing stuff. Uh, the third change I made was that if you look at the traditional catechesis, it was always just question, answer, question, answer, question, answer, and kids would memorize it and spout it back. And what I found is today, the parents had no idea <laughs> themselves yeah, what right. this was all about. So right. my 30 questions thing, which is designed to do over a month's time with a family, uh, comes with more of an ex- explanation about you know what the, what the answer really means. So those are some changes from traditional catechesis. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love I love your Wesleyan emphasis here too. You've got um, an entire section on holiness. That's right. That's I right. I love it. Oh yeah. I know. I, I think one of the one of the pro. I mean, this is where I'm speaking to the choir here. But one of the <laughs> problems with the Reformation, as wonderful as it was, was that it tended to be so Christocentric that, and God bless them for that. But that it was it did tend to. Um, uh, move us away from the Trinitarian understanding of, of how God works at the all parts of the Trinity. And it also tended to um, basically uh, collapse salvation into justification. So therefore you mm. get people that are justified, mm. but not sanctified. So mm. yeah, this does try to breathe new life into the, 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 the whole great meaning of, of salvation that we're, mm. we're, we're justified, we're sanctified and Sunday will be glorified. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You got me singing there. So I love this um, written as a tool for the church, not just to, to talk about why catechism is important, but for people to actually use. And I think that's just a wonderful experience. How? So I've got the book. I love it. What are some ways that you envision um, people engaging the material and using it? And, wh- and why would it be a good resource for people in the local church? Well, that's, uh, I don't know if you know Andrew Dragos, but Andrew Dragos uh, works uh, for us at Seedbed, and he's the one that actually came to me and said, you know, I would love to make this book a little more user-friendly by including uh, 
all the marginal scripture references, the questions yeah. and all of that. You can see the book has that format. And he yep. did all that as a way of helping this book become a little more user friendly. But the good thing about this book is this book, you know, it's a, it's a big book, but a, a, a uh, pastors use this book in a wide variety of ways. So some, some pastors will, um, will choose to, like, like to preach through the Apostles' Creed, for example. Yeah, just, yeah. As a sermon series. I've had a lot of pastors tell me they're preaching through the Apostles' Creed. Then they may say, well, you know, the section on the 30 questions, that's perfect for families at home with their kids. Hey, every, every night we're going to do one question before we go to bed. And whereas some of the questions on uh, holiness might be really good for a small group setting. And so this is not the kind of book where you like have to march through the book, like from page one to page 200 and whatever. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, you could, but it's really meant to be kind of a, um, a menu of things that pastors could use as they see fit in a, in a larger yeah. plan of catechesis. Because uh, some churches have like, you know, three weeks, some have six weeks, some have, you know, one nice coffee event in the Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, and, and what we want you to do is we want to make sure you know you're supposed to show up and tithe, right? Yeah, that's it. That's right, the only right. thing. <laughs> at General Conference when they passed, they try to pass that rule that says pastors could not keep somebody from joining if they wanted to. Remember that? Yeah, I do. And so yeah. you know, we're fighting them with the headwinds against us in terms of like, uh, what can you expect? And so uh, I've tried to learn what historically the church did. And then look what's happening today. Of course, there's a big gap. So we're trying yeah. to figure out how to get that gap closed a little bit. One of yeah. my, uh, uh, one just kind of a funny side story here. You were talking about preachers preaching uh, through the Apostles' Creed. Uh, Dr. Tennant, I don't know if you remember this or not, but um, a number of years ago, you came and preached here at St. Luke when Robert Beckham was the senior pastor. And we were going through a, Apostle, we were going through Apostles' Creed series at the time. And the Sunday you were with us just happened to fall on he descended to the dead, which in you know, in United Methodist circles, they go, Where did that come from? Yeah, no. And our Presbyterian friends, well, it's been there the whole time. So anyway, yeah. um, but uh so we decided, Robert and I decided in our, you know, why not let the esteemed president of a seminary handle the harrowing of hell <laughs> sermon? And and you did a great job with that, but I just thought, man. You know, uh, you coming in doing the visiting preaching, that's not quite what visiting preachers want on their plate, but you <laughs> yeah, did a very good job. A, yeah. You know, I, I'll have to tell Robert, Robert, what, what were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was You funny. know that when I, when I became, I became a, a UM pastor, uh, my DS pulled me aside and said, there's two kinds of appointments in the conference. There's a regular appointments and there's punishment appointments. <laughs> This is the place they send you, like, no one wants to go. So I, he's, I'm giving you a punishment appointment. <laughs> he was trying to laugh about it, but it was a little tough call. Yeah, anyway, yeah. but yeah, so that y'all gave me a punishment sermon. That's what they're right. I That's love right. it. What yeah, you I do to visiting preachers that you like, okay, <laughs> That's right, exactly, yeah. this, this just test them out. Test them out. Yeah. I love, I love um, the renewed emphasis on catechesis and teaching and passing on the faith for, for two reasons. One is the idea that people will pick up something, period. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that I think that we've lost the game on um, is we've outsourced it to, say, the popular section of a Christian bookstore, mm. uh, what people see on TV, down to stereotypes. Um, but another thing that that we're doing, and I think, Dr. Tennant, you're doing so well coming from an academic setting, writing practical work, is helping to bridge the gap that theology matters. Right. 
theology matters uh, for people in the pews, people in their lives. Um, and that's a really, it's a really beautiful thing. We're finding our church members, our listeners, pastors across our conference who are, who are engaging in this kind of work with us are finding that theology is not a head exercise. The things of God are not just about getting knowledge in. It really helps us to behold the Lord mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and behold what it is to be saved through and through. Um, so we've, we've got, I think we've maybe been on the sidelines long enough, um, trying to get people through our new members classes, uh, that we've got a little heavy lifting to do. That's a great point, Jim. I I think it's just well said. I felt the same thing as a pastor and, uh, we have, I think I I can kind of compare it to, um, the movement from the Temple Mount to Mars Hill, you know, the, the, the Temple Mount, the, the Jewish, you know, the kind of Jewish kind of conception of the temple and everything was a place of cultural stability, you know, divine revelation, people gathered to hear God's word expounded, et cetera. But now we're, we're actually more like Mars Hill. You know, we're like Paul on the outcropping, a place of disputation, a place of uh, dialogue, a place of uh, people who want to raise their disagreements. And I think the church has to be able to kind of navigate that distance, uh, which is a quite significant one between a culture which, broadly speaking, embraced Christian ethics, even if they weren't Christians, they broadly accepted kind of Judeo-Christian framework of life to a sometimes outright hostility toward Christian, uh, you know, values. And certainly, as you said, Jim, absolutely, a lot of stereotyping of Christians that goes on where we are, uh, you know, viewed as just a bunch of angry people who just are against everything. And so I do believe that uh, that's one of the great callings of pastors today. And I really admire pastors for that reason, because this is not an easy, this is a huge, huge task before us all. Uh, So in your, in your, in your book, a part of the ethics uh, section is you include the 10 commandments. And so we literally just finished, um, going over the 10 commandments uh, one by one uh the shorter catechism westminster shorter catechism um i think does a pretty good job of 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 talking about the 10 commandments what they prohibit what they allow so forth and so forth mm-hmm. um so we tried to answer the question why do they matter why do they still matter why would why and so i guess the question for you is um why why do they still matter why why do you why did you choose to include them in in this catechism yeah, great question, Dallin. The uh, Ten Commandments, um, and this is, of course, not, not only a Wesleyan perspective, though it's particularly Wesleyan, but it's true, actually should be true for our whole church. Uh, the Christ coming did not, uh, you know, abolish the law, but it demonstrated another way of of having how the law in, interacts with the Christians. So, uh, the, the gospel does not negate the fact that the Ten Commandments are still bonding on us. In fact, as you know, it's on the Mount actually deepens them, you know, yeah. adultery right. gets deep into lust and murder to anger, et cetera. So what we actually find is that the uh, Christ becomes a new lawgiver, And so we do have to go from the, uh, you know, kind of the eventually the point we realize that to live a life of holiness cannot be done without being filled with the Holy Spirit and having your life reoriented toward toward God and toward the Lord. So uh, that's a crucial point, but you can't actually get there until you first establish the moral framework of the the biblical worldview. And uh, this is where Richard Hayes and so many other great writers have made this clear, and I really believe that. And so the Ten Commandments has always been a clear part of catechesis. So 
for a child to learn, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery, etc. These are really good values for Christians. And uh, that's a very different question than saying, in what way does the Holy Spirit empower us to, to live out the law? Mm-hmm. And so some Christians today think that the Christians are anti-law. You know, what we're anti mm-hmm. is we're anti-law divorced from the empowerment of the Spirit. And so I think that's a uh, important distinction. So we still uh, love the Ten Commandments and think that honoring your father and your mother is still a very good idea. <laughs> yeah, amen on that. Yes. <laughs> Especially if you would, if you want a long life. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, I sure am glad Charlton Heston wrote those Ten Commandments. Yeah, right, no, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Right. We found a lot of a lot of beautiful to meditate on those commandments. They seem so simple. Um, it was, it's been a beautiful experience. And I, and I remember, um, you've written elsewhere about them as well. And so I'm just thankful that, that for this work to be in here. Yeah. Um, well, I was actually really talking I was to an unbeliever recently and, uh, we, we were in a conversation, you know, in a, in a, uh, car, car play in a mechanics place and we're chatting away. And at some point he turned to me and said, this is just a kind of random man in a, in a mechanic shop. And he said to me, well, he said, that doesn't really a job with the big 10 he said i said what <laughs> it doesn't really work out with the big 10 i realized he was referring to 10 commandments <laughs> like, you know, awesome. he had this he still had this big notion that you know yeah. god has put out 10 things there and you should avoid those 10 things he, yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's hilarious that's still kind of the culture does seem to be aware of it a little bit at least yeah yeah absolutely so i love um, about go ahead Brian, go ahead jim sorry. go ahead go ahead no well i just i love uh through Asbury Seminary and through the related seedbed uh, organization, um, and just the heart of just the heart of the the people of the Asbury community is really a re- renewing spirit, and there's a lot of passion around how Methodism and Wesleyan the Wesleyan way of being a Christian really has something to say to the world. And has a huge place in the renewal of people's lives. And so with that on the horizon and what it feels like the Spirit of God is doing and this emphasis on catechism and, and really learning our faith, what what do you see as the relationship between those two things? Because I see them come, and I think you mentioned this, they're coming together at a very similar time where you have this emerging passion. Methodism out of maybe some difficulties in, in various bodies of the church and a passion for catechism. How, what, what do you think is the relationship to that? And do they go hand in hand as we move forward? Yeah, it's a good question. That's a mystery. I do think that history shows and that scripture shows that uh, when we go through trials, we become uh, more open. I, I, I think uh, Peter, Peter Gregg, the wrote God on Mute, Mm-hmm. makes the point in his book that he said that uh, they did a study of the pandemic and they found out that every time that the um, like bad news was announced about the pandemic or whatever, you know, like number of cases or deaths or whatever it was, the positivity rate, they did a track on Google searches on the word prayer. <laughs> and it was like a mm-hmm. huge correlation. Uh, there's been a just dramatic increase in people's interest in prayer during the last two years. And I, th- I do think that there is a strange correlation of the fact that when we, when our lives are going well or 
you know, frankly, our domination's going well, or, you know, when things are going well, we tend to get more lax. Mm-hmm. And when we go through difficult or trials, um, and sometimes we go through painful experiences, and I've been through some very painful things in my life. And when those things have happened to me, I look back on them and say, you know, I wouldn't trade it because I feel like those things drove me closer to the Lord. Uh, and even coming to Asbury, even on a positive side, I mean, I love being in Asbury, but when I came here, um, I guess my second year, I realized, wow, I don't have the spiritual I don't have the spirituality or spiritual depth or whatever you want to say to be the president of the Asbury Seminary. I just don't have it. I had the the, the spiritual capacity to be a, a, a professor at Gordon-Conwell or whatever I was before. Mm-hmm. But I realized I needed new capacities. And mm-hmm. I realized I either had to, uh, maybe I'll say more I should here, but I, I, I either had to get out or I had to go deeper. I had to go dive mm-hmm. deeper in the Lord. Mm-hmm. My wife and I decided to, really changed our plans and we started to get up an hour earlier and we we we, st- we said that we start with 150 journey this is a catechesis we said to do 150 day journey through the psalms for 150 days wow. and spend an hour a day on a psalm i get up really early and just focus on a psalm for one day we started that in uh, 2012 and uh we never we never stopped to this day wow. including this morning if i'm traveling we do on the phone we never we never don't quit doing that because we found that it brought us to a deeper place and it gave me the capacity to serve in the position I'm in now. And I now realize I can't get through my day or my life without spending a lot of time in the Psalms. And I think mm. in some ways, Jim, your question is actually the big question. You know, in what way does all this crisis actually end up driving us to new, deeper places in the Lord? And the Lord could actually be. Uh, helping us to find that deeper place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it seems like <clears throat> the basics of our faith have enough meat to satisfy us. Yeah, no, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, you could just take one. That um, reminds me that don't you have a, a book out with your with uh, your wife, the Metrical Psalms, to sing the Psalms? I do. I just wanted to plug. I wanted to plug that for you real quick because <laughs> I enjoyed that. Yes. Um, <clears throat> To think about, even if we're just going to look at the Ten Commandments, to think about uh, you shall not kill. And if you were to meditate on what that is about, and then you you can really find the beauty of life and God's value and relationship for human people, et cetera, et cetera, uh, through a psalm. So it's not as if we have to make up or clench our teeth and strain harder. It's mm-hmm. almost like we have to sit down and rest in what has been handed to us, that that might be the foundation the obedience and surrender to the to our faith and to the spirit's movement would be a foundation for us to launch something not as if we have to create something yeah. and that's what i love that relationship um between catechism and this present moment yeah. uh, amen beautiful say maybe i should be asking maybe i should be asking questions i just <laughs> i do want to say dr Tennant, i appreciate you um mentioning just that there are times in our lives where we we are not equipped and God's going to give us capacity. What did the word you said is I needed new capacity. And I think that's great for all of our listeners to hear as we're talking about what we believe, but also the, the, the ways in which God can make that belief down deep in our soul. Absolutely. Well, anyway. yeah, also, I, I think even things like um, our children now are in their thirties, uh, upper th- like 38 and 36. But I know when we first had our children, 
that's a sanctifying experience. Oh, 100%. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and so it shows that something that's a great blessing to you can also be a, a you know, a trial to you. And I know when I first came a pastor, I, I was, I was shocked. And granted, I, I went to like maybe a little more Pollyannish. I was like, I'm going to get to go to this church. I'm going to be able to preach the gospel <laughs> and people will come forward and receive Christ and their lives be transformed. And this is going to be great. When I got there and I had, you know, people that were complaining about the bathroom, the toilet wasn't flushing and all this. And, uh, you know, and I was like, what? You know, it was just so like shocking to realize the kind of the, the just the challenge of the whole thing. And um, you know, anyway, but it was, it was great. I, I looking back on it, I see God's grace and all that, but it, you know, it's hard. It is hard to, uh, to walk in these situations where you have high expectations and then you realize the reality can really be challenging. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I was thinking. No, I think there's not there's not a day that goes by I don't walk into the office thinking I'm not equipped. <laughs> I mean, so uh, yeah, I can't, I can't imagine feeling that way as the president of the seminary. But uh, yeah. I, th- yeah, I think we all come into those those uh, those definitely moments. Happens. Definitely yeah, happens. Definitely happens. Uh, um, I like the the fact that you you've taken time. Let's go back to the Psalms. You've taken time to rest in the Psalms every day, just like with your wife. Just taking time, and it's become this. You said, okay, at starting off, we're going to take 150 days, which is this long time. I mean, 150 days initially, and that's a long time. And I just kind of want to go back to some of the things we were saying about catechism and where it is, like in new membership stuff today. Um, you know, the early church did catechism in one to three years, like they're, you know, you, before they were baptism. Um, do you think that we, as we look at a revival of sorts of catechism in Protestant and Wesleyan circles and what's coming, um, in Methodism and whatnot, that we really need to sit back and say, we don't need to be rushing. Instead, we need to be resting in these, these truths and these, uh, and these important things instead of rushing through it. Maybe we do need to take time through this. Yeah, that's a great question. Great point. I, I, I've been doing a little study on the question about time and how we think about length of time. So if you say, for example, if you're at a red light and the, red li- and the light is red, how long do you sit in a red light before you say, this has been red too long? Like, you know, what is that, what is that length of time? Yeah. Or if you go to a movie and you watch a film, uh, at what point does the film become too long, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like a film might be an hour and a half, but if it goes over two hours, it's like, ah, oh, that's too long. Um, or if you have a, um, if you sing a, a hymn in a church, how many verses is too long? Right? <laughs> All right. And what you notice in the Psalms is, and we joke about 150 days, it actually was 157 days because it took us seven days to get through Psalm 119. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh. So, uh, whereas Psalm 117 is like, you know, just, just bang. It's like, you know, the shortest Psalm in the book. So what you actually find is that God encounters us with different lengths of time. And I've wondered about the question about what is, how much time would we think is appropriate to be catechized into the faith? Mm. Like what, how much time would, is the right time for someone to become introduced to the faith? And so people have expectations about all these things. How long is a meal? How long should a meal be? How long should a red light be? How long should, uh, you know, anything you can think of, we have a, already a preset time. And so part of the work of the church is to recalibrate our view of time. Like how long is a sermon? How long should a sermon be? Mm-hmm. 
Uh, those are really important questions. There's how people think about what to expect when they go to church. And now with the countdown clocks, you know, I mean, if it's not done in 60 minutes, it's quote, gone long. Well, in, in India, we had regularly had service went three hours. People thought that was kind of normal. And so I do think, Brett, you're right. We have got the idea that the catechesis has to happen in like, you know, at the most like six weeks of Sunday school classes when we're done, you know, mm -hmm. or one good night or whatever. And we have to see it more as a process mm -hmm. over time. Mm -hmm. Over time. And really in some way the process that never ends. Well, right. Absolutely. Right. Uh, yeah. J.I. Packer in his book, uh, Grounded in the Gospel, which is a fantastic book on catechism, talks about, um, if I can get this, like pre-catechism, catechism proper, and then like post-catechism. And so like even divides it up in that that sense, um, where your pre-catechism would be more like your evangelism and your, uh, you know, kind of your alpha course or something like that. And your catechism proper would be what, you know, that membership. And then post-catechism would be Sunday school classes and being, uh, you know, your service groups and those things that go on and on and on. So I know um, Packer uh, was really happy. I mean, really helpful uh, for me in, in thinking in time in that sense. That's a great point. And that's why I love the Alpha. And I, I think this is where Wesleyans could particularly be strong because <laughs> like Alpha, as you say, is a great pre-catechesis into like introducing someone to the faith. Yeah, It's fantastic. I, in fact, there's no better... Uh, you know, success of any uh, work in the Western world than than Alpha. But the point is, and this is Wesley's point, there's a difference between becoming a Christian and being a Christian. Yep. Right. So what what it means to become a Christian is one thing, but that's very different than being a Christian. So in some ways, the Alpha course is all pre-catechesis. That's right. Uh, and so in some ways, when someone comes into the faith, I think the pressure today is to say, well, okay, they've they've come down the altar, they've 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 said the three or four questions that you ask them at the altar, you shake their hand, and <clears throat> that's it. Yeah. Actually, that's just the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Absolutely. Well, and I think we also got to think, you know, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to semi-joke here, but um, think about the form of catechism. And you, you've done that. You, you've, in your questions, like you said, you've included, you've changed up the, the questions in the format versus just the question and answer, much like the shorter catechism is. But I mean, here we are on a on a podcast. Um, yeah, that is a catechism uh, in the form of a podcast, and yeah. so um, so not only do we think we have to recalibrate, you know, how long should it be, and does that is our does our culture have a say in that, you know, and um, and but the same way is uh, what's the form of catechism too? Because um, uh, there's I mean, the mediums are endless right now right mm -hmm. uh, for for how you can do that but anyways um well i think your generation uh, i think is in great on that that's why i really respect all that y'all have done including this uh, catechesis podcast because our, our generation tends to think in more traditional delivery methods and um your generation is much more creative and also you know what does it matter if you take something that would have been uh six hours that nobody would do and you take it and you put it into smaller segments that right. people will do, right. uh, you actually might find yourself having them more effective. So mm -hmm. uh, I, my hat's off to you for being the, the creativity y'all brought to all this. It's a well, I also think, also think, I mean, it's, it's, it's also about relationships too. And so um, I think however a catechism is delivered or what form it is, I mean, if it's not done with the relationships in mind, um, it's like I'm in the middle of, of, um, 
um, confirmation right now. And, um, and just thinking about how uh, the students, they all learn differently. So they're not all built to, to sit down in a class to learn. And so we're trying to figure out, you know, what are some different methods of, 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 of talking about the importance, uh, the important things of the faith. And so, um, but also just being in relationship with one another and, and taking time and pouring time into, into, into others. So. Yeah, absolutely. Good for you. So, um, as you have written this and other pieces that are very catechetical in, in nature, uh, what's your favorite, if you have one historic catechism, what, what has been one that you've read that just really has spoken, spoken a lot to you? Well, when, when I came through, um, <coughs> seminary, we were required to study the, um, you know, the, the longer and shorter Westminster catechism, uh, which of course is not in our tradition, but, um, was the first time I'd really understood. I, mean, I later got to know the Heidelberg confession, which actually, because of the EUB, you know, mm-hmm. the union <clears throat> that actually comes into our tradition. But um, so I was actually exposed to those same, the ones, the very ones that you're looking at now in your podcast. Um, they were right great. Of course, Luther's, uh, Luther's shorter catechism. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to also in seminary. So I had the same um, exposures that all of you had in yeah. seminary. I, what I, what it struck me though, was that, you know, Wesley, as you know, uh, he, he basically felt, he saw, um, his canonical sermons and uh, his notes in the New Testament as kind of the way to catechize pastors uh, in, right. in, in their in their <clears throat> preaching and all that. And I don't know. There's a lot of precedent for that. It's a pretty remarkable. I mean, to basically take the Nicene Creed, Apostles' Creed, out because he's afraid that it would become a dead letter. You know, people just would recite doctrines. I think the point that Brett you made at the very beginning. People just reciting things. Yeah. And actually saying, let's take the content of the Apostles' Creed and embed it in sermons, mm-hmm. the 44 Chronicle Sermons, uh, is actually a, I think it's a fairly uh, bold and I think <laughs> unprecedented approach to catechesis. Uh, but it does show that Wesley saw catechesis differently. He saw it more embodied in communities yeah. rather than individuals. He saw it more embodied in uh, something you proclaim, not just something that you you know recite again. So I think I think Wesley, um, with the class meeting and the band meetings both, I think demonstrated a very powerful catechesis model that basically the church did not do. They separated mm-hmm. the life of the church and pre- uh, preaching of the ministry from catechesis, and Wesley didn't do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. maybe we could uh, learn from that. I don't know, but. Well, you, you mentioning the boldness of Wesley, it always gets us um, when we come to his revisions in the uh, in the Westminster <laughs> Catechism, because it just makes us laugh because, you know, sometimes it'll be a word that he takes out or sometimes like we'll ha- our next episode, our regular episode, we'll be dealing with one that he completely just gets rid of because it has to do with sanctification and um He's it, you know, and so he's, you know, he's not going to let it stay in there if it questions sanctification. So um, he just boldly goes in and takes on the Westminster divines and says, no, that's yeah, it's, fu- it's funny because they're called the divines and Wesley's like, I don't care. You're wrong. <laughs> I know. Have you seen the, see the publication where we have it with all the strikeouts? Yeah, that's the one we use. That's the one we use. We've got more favorite. response uh, to that publication <clears throat> because. We we had two publications. One was that one. Uh, the other one was the um, was Luther's preface to the Romans. Yeah. 
Because we talk to Wesleyans, of course, all over the world, and we say, you know, what did John Wesley hear at Aldersgate? And they'll say, well, he listened to Luther's preface to Romans. And we'll say, well, did, have you ever read Luther's preface to Romans? Like, no. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> ever read it. Read it, yeah. They just know it changed Wesley's life. So we published that preface. Yeah. We got a yeah, lot of and, response from that. But. And once you read it, you realize that the Holy Spirit must have been at work because it's a very, very dense work. <laughs> I know. Well, I, t- I told J.D. Walt when they published the one that y'all were using with the strikeouts, I said, J.D., I said, that that was pure genius because J.D. is the kind of guy that can think of things like that. Yeah. I would have never thought of it. <laughs> so people, people have really enjoyed that book. Yeah, so fun. I I, uh, I messaged um oh what's his name uh let's see Andrew um, Thompson yeah Andrew Thompson who helped with this uh, work and I messaged him how we were enjoying it and using it and he goes I'm glad someone got it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was pretty. I, I, I'm noticing too here. Um, just loving I'm loving this resource that you just published. I want everybody to to pick it up. Foundations of the Christian Faith. We'll put it in the um, show notes, by the way. Yes, without a doubt, with a link and everything. Um, <laughs> so some of your work uh, from for the body you have put over here, mm-hmm. um, be, and, and you've got a sense of Christian anthropology, uh, human anthropology, Christian anthropology of the human person and relationships and sexuality and marriage and things of that nature. It's been kind of absent in. Um, not everywhere. Um, and I reading through both this segment of it and the, the book for the body, um, you're quite ecumenical in researching that and allowing our wider Christian tradition to speak to us. So I, I just love to hear why, why is it so important to, for us to have a Christian sense of hu- who human beings are? Yeah, I think um, back to Alan's question earlier, I think the same point I would make is that we catechesis has to be both historical and contextual. You know, there has mm-hmm. to be things that like, doesn't matter if it's the second century, the seventh century, the 21st century, whatever century, there's certain things that just are Christian stuff that need to be explored and learned and appreciated. But then there's things that are contextual to every generation that we're typically challenged by, and obviously issues of uh, personhood and uh, having a really Christian view of the body is very, very important. And that affects, uh, yeah, it has a sexuality, but also th- has things like, you know, how we understand, uh, uh, you know, first-person violent killing in video games, how we understand mm-hmm. things like uh, the horrible shaming that goes on in Instagram, where young girls feel shame because of bodily images are portrayed in our media in a way that s- sends certain messages to even very young young girls about their bodies. And these are these are big theological challenges that every parent faces. You can't go through a grocery line with your children without seeing, you know, some glamour magazine. It, it sends a message to a young girl about their bodies. And so this book uh, tries to actually give permission for pastors to talk about it mm-hmm. uh, and help give some guidance uh, on these type things. And so it's not trying to like you know come in and solve all these problems, but just to lay some foundational points to be helpful. Mm. It's under ordinances because one of the points I make in the in the um, in the my book for the body, which is uh, drawn from this a lot, is that the body is meant to be sacramental. Yes, and I yes. think one of the things that the Wesleyan emphasis is that when we ask is the or sacraments, you know, which sacraments did Christ institute? Okay, Lord's Supper and and uh and baptism. But when you ask about the triune God, Wesley was very clear about that that the means of grace flow from all three persons of Trinity. You know, the Father 
establish marriage, for example. You know, the Holy Spirit <clears throat> is healing bodies, is uh, anointing us for ministry, all kinds of things. So I do think that there is a sacramental side of the body which needs to be today recaptured, including mar marriage and so forth, and move us beyond just looking through the uh, Christocentric lens with a more Trinitarian mm. view of, um, of sacraments. I hope that's not too... too no, I, I, love, I, I love that. I think um, recognizing that, one, everything we do, we do in our bodies. Therefore, our bodies need... We need to know who we are, what we are. Bodies matter, are important. Um, and we do have something helpful to say as Christians. Because a lot of the language about bodies and and um, interpersonal relationships and things of that nature um, that are kind of jammed out in people's faces are maybe so anxious or antagonistic or defensive that it's that it's hard to talk about the beauty of what God does in human bodies through human bodies, mm. His incarnation for one, um, and how beautiful it is that we are people with bodies. And so I just I want to just let let our listeners know if this re resource, this section in this book and Dr. Tennant's For the Body are, yeah. in my estimation, one of the few um, outside of the Roman Catholic Church's teachings, accessible, hopeful um, works there. So great resources for all of you. Mm -hmm. Also, did you uh, I, if I remember right, um, did you enjoy? Was it Pope John Paul II's uh, lectures on uh, on the human body? Did you study those as well? I did. I read all of them. They're great. They yeah, published together as a book, um, male and female. He created them. <clears throat> so yes, that's right. And it's uh, as someone took all those, and I love it. There is a little bit of humor there because, as you probably know, this this was done over years on every Wednesday homily. He did a fifteen minute homily on the body. Uh, for years and years and years, and it's now a book that's like 500 pages long. But there's a, there's a point in the book where there's a little asterisk and it says, um, you know, we apologize that the Pope took, you know, three months off of his homilies. Um, we apologize, but he did have an assassination attempt against his life. <laughs> oh, I, was shocked. <laughs> I thought, man, now there's a, there's a big pressure, you know, like, you got to yeah. get back to your homilies now. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he had his inconvenient assassination attempt. Other than that, he's doing Other fine. Than that. What Talk a lame that. excuse not to preach. <laughs> yeah, no. Everybody's on, really? trying to push deadlines. Be ready in season and out of season. Come on, Pope. <laughs> Talk about the world's longest sermon series, too. I mean, yeah, right? just I know, I know. <laughs> not giving up at all on that. I think it was a seven-year series. I know, it's amazing. I love it. Well, um, as we uh, get wet, ready to wrap up, and uh, Dr. Tennant, we are so appreciative of your time. Um, I just, a uh, couple questions I want to close with here for you. Just A is, um, what is your kind of great hope for the church moving forward? Um, those who are listening, most of the people listening are a, a, a Methodist and Wesleyan um, 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 theological tradition and know, you know, like with the UMC and stuff that's coming up with us. Um, but what is your great hope with uh, for the church uh, moving forward? And then kind of a little bit different, um, how do you stay centered in your faith with all that's going on and all that you have to do? I mean, you write books. I don't know how you find time to write books and to run a seminary and to travel and to do all that you do. Um, how do you stay centered in your faith with everything that is going on in your life? Uh, great questions. Uh, my First of all, I, I when I was a young uh, Methodist pastor, 
I, I, I went to annual conference every year and uh, annual conference was always, at least for me, uh, I was in the North Georgia conference, but I found it to be a very disappointing event, like than what I thought it you know, could be or should be. I was expecting kind of like, you know, getting together and we have these wonderful experiences and build these colleagues and all this. And I, I found it to be very dispiriting. And so <clears throat> I started, um, I started just being gone. I, I went to India. I went to India every summer. I was just gone the whole summer in India. Uh, which worked out well for me. My DS was okay with it. But what I found was that I gradually got introduced to the global church and what was God doing around the world. And I had the opportunity to see the church around the world. I think everybody in any denomination should stick their head up and see what God's doing globally in his church. Because mm-hmm. every church, and, and I think on both sides, sometimes if you're UMC, you think we're the only ones going through crisis. But there are a lot of churches going through difficult times right now. But there's also a lot of really vibrant things happening all over the world that just amaze you. And I find it really encouraged me. I, I've been to India every year from 1987 till, till the pandemic hit. And it was just so nourishing for me as a, as a pastor to get out and see what God was doing. And I hope that uh, the UMC uh, or those who, whatever happens after this, that we will re- recapture our uh, great confidence in the church you know, mm-hmm. not a denomination but the church the actual the big church mm-hmm. because ultimately uh, christ did not say i will build the united methodist church or the global methodist church or the Presbyterians or any other he's i will build my church mm-hmm. so i've always wanted to be connected to that you know um as far as me personally um yeah i've mentioned earlier i think probably one of the great um strengths I have is that I, I do take time. I get up really early in the morning and I take time at the start of every day to be before the Lord mm-hmm. and to just spend time with the Lord in prayer. Uh, there's times I go through difficult times, of course, but um, I, I we, we always consistently do that. Uh, so or actually right now in ironically, Psalm 119, I mentioned that earlier, but we're in 119 right now. And it's just so powerful. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm very moving. It helps me so much. But also, I'm just so thankful for my wife. I have a wonderful wife. Uh, we, we've always gone through life together in a journey. Uh, she's very supportive, and uh, we pray together, talk together. And I and thirdly, I think for me, uh, our daughter lives in an extremely difficult, challenging ministry situation. Uh, she lives in uh, uh, central Tanzania for 12 years now. Wow. Uh, where she lives, there are no roads, there are no stores, there's no running water, there's no electricity, there's nothing. If she wants to eat, she has to grow her own th- food. If she wants to get water, she has to go to the river and get it and bring it back. I mean, it's just the whole, her life is so challenging. And <clears throat> and she faces all kinds of opposition, you know, in the Muslim, it's a Muslim culture where she lives. And she's there to bring the gospel there. And she's translating the Bible into their language. But the point is, is that I think about what she goes through. And uh, so every every week she has to climb a mountain. She has to climb an hour hike to a mountain where she's found on one little rock. She can stand and get a signal to call us. So she calls wow. us every Sunday morning. Mm. And I, I just want to tell you, I, I find many times when I go through difficulty, I'm like, oh, this is so bad. The wet, the world's crushing upon me. I talk to my daughter and I feel like, I am such a wimp, mm. <laughs> you know, mm. compared to what she deals with. And she does it with such joy and such. And so I find that a lot of times God uses somebody in our life, like in a band meeting or a, 
you know, uh, I have close friends that I talk to every week on the phone that are, it's just so helpful. And uh, I would encourage everybody in our listening thing to spend time in the Psalms or in prayer every mm. day and to spend time with close brothers and sisters in Christ that can help help us in the journey. Amen. Well, Dr. Yeah, Tennant, this has been been awesome. Thank you for so much for joining us. How can people find you? Where uh, you have a website, you have uh, uh, any um, social media handles? How can people find you? Well, I do have a website, uh, timothytennant.com. Okay. My name, timothytennant.com. Uh, it's T-E-N-N-E-N-T. Uh, and there you have like all the sermons I preach, you know, in Estes Chapel or in Florida, preach, they're posted there. Uh, and all and you know things I'm writing or whatever my blog is uh, and you can sign up on there and I put out a blog every week or two and um, so that's there I, I'm also on Twitter Timothy Tennant on Twitter I don't do it I do things every so often I try not to get into like you know Twitter wars like that <laughs> I do post some pretty generic things there <laughs> oh that's so funny. occasionally I will say, I'll Twitter something that, you know, like, you know, the fires of hell will be rained down upon me. But I, <laughs> and the good news is then all you got to do is log off. Just, yeah, that's it. That's just right. Log, log off. off. Just be done. Just be done. You guys are the experts on social media. I'm not. I, I, it, it baffles me. Uh, you can say something that can really, really get people going. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That is so funny. That is so well, funny. I'm, so, I'm so thankful for you joining us. I'm thankful. I just want to offer a plug to and. Um, anybody interested in growing deeper in their studies in one way or another, maybe yeah. even pursuing ministry, um, Asbury Theological Seminary is a great yeah. place for it. Um, yeah. I apologize, Alan, for that, but I'm in my I'm in my <laughs> second man. go round there, yeah. and it's a nurturing, beautiful community. Yeah, I can we'll link it in the show notes. I concur, absolutely, yes. absolutely. Um, well, um, uh, Podicumens, we are, our next episode, we're going to be dealing with the Westminster Shorter Catechism once again. We're going to be looking at the consequences of sin. So we've done the Ten oh. Commandments. Now we're going to look at the consequences of breaking those Ten Commandments. There's none. And- don't worry. <laughs> Wesley struck them out. No, I'm just kidding. He's just straight no. <laughs> He bolded them, highlighted them. Anyway, yeah. uh, but we're going to look at the consequences of sin. As a reminder, we're part of the Spirit and Truth uh, podcast network, and you can find out more about that at spiritandtruth.life. And we want to remind you about the Spirit and Truth Conference, March 17th through the 19th in Dayton, Ohio, and your Podakesis friends will be there. So we're going to, we're excited about that, and we would hope to see you there as well. Hit us up on social media at Podakesis is where you can find us. Uh, leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Any questions or comments, questions at podichesis.com is our email address. Dr. Tennant, thank you for joining us. We really do appreciate it. Thank you, brothers. It's been a real honor. Awesome, awesome. Until next time, Podicumans, y'all have a great day, and we'll talk to you later. <laughs>